the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrove. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program, or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrove, please visit his website at davidpetrovecoaching.com. That's davidpetrovecoaching.com, or call 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World. Joining us in studio, Julie Fleury. Julie is with the PJF Group. Julie's been working in the arena of employment for over 30 years. Also with us today is Jim McDonald. Jim is a career coach, consultant, and author whose corporate experience spans more than three decades. Also today in studio is Ron Visconti. Ron is executive director of Phase 2 Careers, a nonprofit that assists the over 40 worker. I think one of the trends, well, I can't tell if it's a, a real trend, but an example is the BMW plant in uh, South Carolina. Um, they've um, introduced uh, robotics to an extensive degree, and they've introduced uh, training programs, apprenticeship programs, to train the employees instead of laying them off and trying to hire other people. They've taken their workforce and kept them fully employed by uh, through training programs. So I think that there are certain corporations are very forward-thinking about training their employees, and I think that's one of the issues. For example, an applicant should determine in the interview process uh, what is expected of the employee. What is the, the training programs or the change agents for uh, the, that, that particular applicant will say a lot about the quality of the uh, of the uh, corporation in terms of helping people integrate change and improve the uh, the quality and production of the of the um, facility. So there's a those are uh, there um, different changes, different corporations. I, my son had a job. I had to use them. My oldest son had a job in marketing for a human resource company, and I kept mentioning to my son, you know, it'd be great if the corporation would share some of their training, because he was involved in training specialization and training programs, it'd be great if the company would share some of the training aspects to the public, which would help the applicant understand the nature of what is expected of the applicant in the company. It would help the selection process. Now, he never never pursued that, but I think that that is still an issue for corporations when it comes to integrating change so they can help the employee adjust to, to uh, technology. And if I might add, Jim, not only in terms of the employer, but the employee as well. It's funny because as you were talking earlier, Julie had made a remark, and I jotted down anticipatory and the word forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it dawns on me that as much as we think about 
obtaining the skill set to do the job that's set in front of me. So back to your example, Jim, of the assembly line worker working in an automotive plant, having skills in air tools and in wrenches because they know how to assemble part A to point B on the car, very important. But to then be forward-thinking enough to realize there may be a day coming where I won't be directly involved in that process of assembling, say, the rear fender, but instead will be directing the machine that assembles the rear Mm -hmm. fender. And so suddenly, while understanding the process, having the capacity to run the air hammer or the wrenches manually is good, I need to be thinking about, do I understand and have the skills to run a computer that I will interact with as I direct the machine that assembles the car. And you spoke, Julie, about learning job skills. Maybe sometimes you're not going to think, I'm never going to do a PowerPoint. Why do I need to know how to use PowerPoint? And then suddenly the opportunity or the necessity presents itself. And so being forward-thinking enough to obtain that skill, even in advance of, of the necessity, can oftentimes what? Be the difference between you keep the job or they find somebody who does have that skill? Mm-hmm. Well, in line with what yeah. you just said, Craig, I think that that begs the question, are companies, corporations willing to be transparent in what it is that they see as their future? So, you know, we talk about one-year plans, five-year plans. Where does the company see itself in a year from now? Where do they see themselves five years from now? And how is that information being shared with current employees so that they can be tooling up for these changes as opposed to well, we've just identified where we're headed, and guess what? You're not part of the trip. So that means not only knowing where your company is headed, and while they may not always be transparent, knowing where your industry is headed. That's another part of it. And I think there's another point, too, generational communication. So we're talking about skills. That's one thing, but we're not talking about communication How because – Sometimes you can't even get to – you might have the skills, but you're not communicating in a relevant way that they'll understand. And that comes up time and time again with the baby boomer talking to the millennial. They have the experience, but they're not connecting uh, with what – they're not on the same wavelength. And oftentimes, that, that's also just differences in languages. I mean, it, when, when a right. baby boomer has a computer problem and the millennial in the cubicle next door comes over and says, here, let me show you what to do, and they start giving you instruction, suddenly they're speaking a foreign language. <laughs> and you say, I know you're trying to tell me something. I just don't know what it is. I think that also goes on the learning style. Someone can tell me what it is I need to do. They can show me what it is I need to do, but until I put my hands on whatever it is and touch it, I don't learn. And if I'm driving the car, I'll know how to get down the street to the shop. But if I'm sitting in the car and just being a passenger, I might not be able to find that road. And that is typical of an adult learning style. What we know is for adults, the idea of first demonstrated, then let me begin to practice what it is that I'm to do, then I'm going to do this independently with you observing. And finally, the true test of my mastery is when I can teach this to someone else. So if we use a model like that, it tends to ensure that the person will be successful in learning that new task. 
I totally agree with you. And I also found that if the person was 32 or 62 in the office, that's exactly what worked the best. I think the um, the aspects of um, of successful communication with the employer, as Ron Julie mentioned, is is really important. I had uh, several uh, elements that I think that would help uh, any applicant to, to interact with the employer. A sense of one's behavioral skills, uh, whether they be the person's personality, their interests, or the experience. A person really has to have a pretty darn good sense of what those three elements are before they. Uh, start to interact uh, with the outside world of work. Um, regular self-assessment is a uh, is an uncomfortable uh, intellectual process. A person looking at their strong skills and their weak skills and where they might be uh, deficient. Uh, that's where a coach comes in. Mm-hmm. Helps a person to work through issues where they're not quite as skilled as they could be in their interviewing process, in their negotiating skills, uh, interacting with with, uh, different people, their communication skills, as Ron mentioned. That's a really big one. Um, The ability to um, negotiate, as I mentioned earlier, is a really important one because you can get a job, but if you haven't negotiated the conditions that are important to you, you're going to end up unhappy later on, and you're going to leave within a year or so. Um, turnover can be really high in those areas. So it's very important to be able to have uh, that kind of uh, skill set. So that's where Ron's group comes in, teaching those kinds of skills to people. And where you, David, come in, or maybe me or Julie, where we come in, where we interact with a person to help them understand the importance of uh, the uncomfortableness of change and the importance of resilience. So it's multiple layered here then, as you're suggesting, Jim. It's not just the skill to perform the task at the job, but it's also the skill to get the interview, to then obtain the job, to negotiate the terms, and then the ability to change and morph as the job demands it. And and I was going to say there's external changes, things that happen to us, but what go internally we're changing too. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an agent like mm-hmm. coaches like David to help that person go through the process. So even though there's lots of changes going on, there's continual changes going on with people. What do they want? One day they might be motivated to do X job, but five years down the line, maybe not. A job that has a lot of travel is not attractive if you're raising young kids, but if you're an empty nester, now the chance to get around and head out of town for a while might be very attractive. And I think that one of the things to think about that is common to just about everyone experiencing change and transition is the fear factor. Oftentimes when we're faced with something new that's being introduced in the workplace, my first question is, what's the plan? for teaching me how to become competent with that. Sometimes the plan is good luck. You're going to need to figure it out on your own. And if you can't do it quickly enough, you'll be replaced. Think about the pressure that's put on you for that. But I think that um, I'd like the panel to talk a little bit about how people can actually work through those fears because they're common. I have a friend who's 93, totally blind, And I remember when I first met her a number of years ago, the last thing she wanted to deal with was technology until she found out recently about this incredible 
invention called Alexa. And that is now her best friend, and she's spearheading a program for people who are much older, having Alexa as not only a companion, but a way to bridge this fear of technology. And again, when it becomes meaningful to someone, when there is a purpose attached to it, that tends to get them through the fear much faster. So what have your experiences been in helping people overcome that fear in terms of making changes? You're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrove. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program, or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrove, please visit his website at davidpetrovecoaching.com. That's davidpetrovecoaching.com, or call 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World. Having a support system, having a group of people of like-minded minds sharing the same issue or problem, that that really helps. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. There might not be a lot of fear, but experiencing it with other people helps the pain. I think trying something new. Um, This is the first time I've ever been in a radio station. So the fear factor was there this morning, and hopefully we'll move right on through it. There you go. (laughs) And what did you say to yourself, Julie, around the fact that you felt fearful and knew that you had made a commitment to come here, and in a very short time somehow had to overcome that emotion? Well, first of all, I sat next to Ron, who I've been on many panels with before, so it was kind of a, a comfortable feeling there. And then I said, oh, let's, let's do it. Try it. And was it as scary as you thought it would be? No, Worse. <laughs> <laughs> I understand there's banana bread if I make yeah, that real. That's right. That's the motivator. That's right. Karen right. stick. You know she's got her eye on it right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm eyeing it myself. <laughs> so what about you, Jim? What is your experience with people who are going undergoing fear as part of the change? The uh, – it's uh, to, to listen, basically. And um, – to help uh, suggest um, and, and maybe and coach and suggest and maybe cajole uh, uh, to assure them that change is okay, that it's it, it temporary and there are ways to overcome it. And, and um, that's, that's basically the didactic process that takes place between two people and one person who thinks that they know what they're doing and another person uh, who is a um, – uh, who's really dependent on them, you know, at that time for some good suggestions. But um, also to encourage and to recognize um, uh, skill sets and their value that they might have missed. I, I, I say this, most people 
really denigrate themselves, really miss their their value, miss their skill sets, miss their contributions and and uh, to others and to themselves and uh, to their former employers. Many times uh, I'll, I'll have to remind them what what uh, good things they've done for their employer by rephrasing their experience by recalibrating for them to helping them to uh, identify those kinds of uh, skill sets. Is it important, Jim, in that case then to engage in positive self-talk because it's so easy to say, I'm fearful, I don't know anything about this, therefore I can't do it, this is beyond my abilities. And then Dr. Petrovic, you mentioned a moment ago, someone who in the case of technology is fearful, eschews any notion, and then once having overcome that fear factor, begins to have positive enough experience that suddenly now they go from being completely petrified to now embracing it with absolute utter joy. The, um, my first book in, 20, in uh, 2017 emphasized affirmation, one of the, one of the five factors uh, in the what I call behavioral strengths. My 2018 book, I changed that from affirmation to uh, resilience. Mm talked about resilience, the resilience to fail, the resilience to come back, uh, to see that um, uh, there's another day, another episode, if they will, another way of, of encountering uh, a no, and to, uh, to view it as an opportunity to make a change, to improve, to take a class, to uh, visit a workshop, to go through uh, other uh, experiences to improve. So I, I, I view uh, the ability to be resilient in a changing world is a really important thing, and you can't help a person I, ironically, that. Ironically, it, it sort of harkens back to the line out of President Roosevelt's inauguration address. The only thing we have to fear is <laughs> fear itself. If we can get past the fear, we're generally going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that, Craig, is also um, how companies look at their employees attempting a new task and the internal self-talk of if I don't get this right the first time they're going to perceive me as a failure and if companies are not willing to support the option of failure it's going to really cause problems obstacles for employees if it's the idea we're going to teach you a new task we know it's going to take you a while to learn it we're going to provide you with the resources needed. And if you don't get it right the first time, we're not going to ding you for that. We know that it takes X amount of time for people typically to learn how to do this. Some will be faster than others. But we have confidence in you because we know your work history that you'll be successful with this. If the person finds out that the change is too much for them, they may have the option within that company to look for other positions where that task is not as critical. But it gives them flexibility within the workplace. So again, companies don't lose valuable employees. That's a really good point. And let me go back to the, um, the automated plant, uh, the BMW plant in South Carolina. Uh, 98% of their work in that BMW plant is automated, 98%. They've got 2,000 robots. Um, so what that corporation did, they chose to do this, was to implement training programs for employees. It's it's a respectful thing to do to respect the their value. It's, it's a tremendous program. I mean, it's it can happen in any place, and uh, it really tells you a lot about the corporation whether or not they can tolerate 
uh, some failures of themselves and others. And um, uh, that's a, a quality that the applicant should be looking for, too, before they make a decision. Because there are some, I hate to say this, some really uh, miserable companies out there. Mm-hmm. And there are some very, very good companies. That, that takes us back to the notion that in the job interview process, you're actually really interviewing each other. You are. Do you want me, and do I want to work oh, for I you? Spent, I, that, I call it uh, controlling the power in the interview process. It's not just the employer's power. It's your power, too. And one thing that I bring up with uh, some of my clients is in an interview situation, who has the most to lose, the person being interviewed or the interviewer? And they always say, oh, it's the person being interviewed. I said, think of it. You have walked in as a potential employee. You didn't have the job to begin with. If you're not hired, that's zero gain. Mm -hmm. If you're the employer and you make a wrong employment hiring decision, think of the amount of time and money that's going to be spent dealing with a wrongful hire. So that looks that allows them to look at this very differently. Or the smart guy who winds up at the competition across the street and invents the next billion-dollar invention. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, one of the measures that corporations use is income per employee. So if you've made a bad hire, you can you can toss that income per employee, which is a hundred to two hundred thousand, sometimes more, depending on the product. And uh, so. Hiring becomes very important. The person is extremely, the applicant is extremely important. No, absolutely. You're right, David. So in looking at today's world of work, think about a successful candidate in today's job market. What kind of a profile might you create for that person so that our listeners, as they're hearing this, and do a form of self-assessment. If this is how the panel believes a candidate would be successful today, where do I stand with that? Are there areas that I need to improve upon? And what might that be in terms of a plan? Would it be online learning? Would it be partnering with someone who could teach me these techniques? Exactly how could I go about fitting more of that profile to be successful today? Well, I could could think of someone uh, immediately a couple of months ago, a a woman who had been laid off, had been working with the same company for about 16 years. So she was kind of discombobulated just being laid off. That's disturbing right there. How do I start? Where do I begin? And a very positive person, so having a positive outlook was helpful. She was a good listener. She started going to groups. She started learning about things, being open to things. She started uh, getting feedback about her resume and her interviewing style, and she started joining lots of groups. So it didn't happen quite to the level that she wanted as quickly as it did, but she was doing all the right things. She, the main thing was having a positive mindset to begin with, and to be open to suggestions. So that was, to me, a composite of someone doing the right things. And as she was doing things in her job search, she was learning, oh, I could do this a little differently. Maybe I could communicate a little bit more of this. So that was my example of this person kind of being terrified about the job search and actually thriving at the very end. 
You're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrove. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program, or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrove, please visit his website at davidpetrovecoaching.com. That's davidpetrovecoaching.com or call 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World. Joining us in studio, Julie Fleury. Julie is with the PJF Group. Julie's been working in the arena of employment for over 30 years. Also with us today is Jim McDonald. Jim is a career coach, consultant, and author whose corporate experience spans more than three decades. Also today in studio is Ron Visconti. Ron is executive director of Phase 2 Careers, a nonprofit that assists the over 40 worker. Question for Julie. Um, in, in your industry, um, you often... I make an assumption here. <laughs> you often uh, will see employees or see applicants who have been disrupted by different elements, maybe a, a, a layoff or a merger or a, a discontinuance of something. Don't don't those people come in? Don't you deal with the, those uh, those folks who are dealing with change, disruptive change? Yes, we do. And I think one of the things that I like to tell them is. Very, very briefly, first I ask them what happened. And usually it's this long-winded story, which is very heartfelt, and I understand. So, like you said before, I listen. And then I say, let's get that into one or two sentences. Let's get this just to the facts. It was a merger. The new management came in. Your job was eliminated. You know, they wanted me to move to... Texas or wherever, all, all of these stories are true. Um, but let's get it short and sweet and let's move on from there. The other thing, um, I think mock interviews are extremely good. I had the pleasure of working at one of the colleges locally for a few years and also um, w- with you, Ron, on, on mock interviews. It's the practice. You know, get used to answering questions and everyone will ask a question a little bit differently. Um, The other thing that I think is important is do your research. Learn about the companies that you want to go to work for. Glassdoor is out there for a reason. You know, do your due diligence. Um, Take your resume once you think you have a job that you want to apply for. Look at that side by side with your job description. And above all of those things, those are all um, things that we can touch and see. Learn what the soft skills are that they're looking for. One great way to do that is an informational interview. Go on LinkedIn, see who's working for that company. See if they'll give you three minutes on the phone for an informational interview. And then ask about, well, what's it like working there? What do, do they make you work overtime? Whatever questions you have. And ask the questions, um, what type of person will do well here? Why have you done so well? Ask those kinds of questions. And, and Julie, from the perspective of the hiring authority, 
Nothing will get a line drawn through the paper or the resume to say next when someone comes into the interview to my talk radio station and says, so what kind of music do you play here? I know immediately you have taken not even a nanosecond to get to know me. And if you care so little about this job, you're probably not the kind of candidate that I'm going to be interested in entertaining for a position. You're exactly right. And I... the point that it sparked uh, interest is what I see a lot of clients don't have a clear vision of what they want. And that, right, automatically, um, what do you want? How could I help you? So having a clear vision is half the battle or most of the battle. And No, I was just going to say, um, as a recruiter, what I like to do is give my candidate, my potential candidate, the URL to the company tell them these are um, the last financials that were put out, give them the job description, have everything right there, even right down to the point where you send them an email and they need to accept the interview process so that it's all in one space. When you get ready to go out the door, you've got your iPhone or your Android and you can push on it and all that information will be right there. And they have to do their research. So along those lines, and then we'll get to you, Jim, regarding what Julie was just saying about soft skills. We've talked about flexibility. We've talked about listening as soft skills. What are some of the other soft skills that people would benefit from developing? Well, the uh, soft skills, uh, in my mind, is is, um, uh, personality and uh, uh, the ability to commit, um, uh, uh, a, the um, ability to uh, co- communicate a sense of enthusiasm, uh, optimism, for example, is one of the behavioral strengths that I consider very important. Uh, the, their ability to remain re- uh, resilient when there's change to a corporation. They anticipate they're going to be sold off. Uh, they're going to be t- introducing a new product line. They know there's going to be a lot of, of uh, problems with it. I can just think of Elon Musk's uh, resilience relative to Tesla and what he's, as a, the CEO, going, going through. You really have to have... In some jobs, you have to have a lot of resilience to change and and possible failure. So those are some of the softer skills beyond the duties and responsibilities that are listed in in a piece of paper. I was thinking, and it harks back to what Julia said, but assessing the uh, employer's needs beyond the ads. Because an ad is a marketing piece. You read that, you get a completely different view of what the organization has to be. So informational interviews are very important. Uh, even visiting uh, the the place to look, to watch the the traffic, it may give you some insight into the companies, and the ability to use language and semantics to map into the employer, study what you think is important in terms of the language they're using to describe their opportunities and their job ads. So it, it it's it, it's some tough skills. I mean, no doubt about it. And. That's where a coach can really come in. Is it important, too, to understand a a company's corporate culture? And by that I mean for the individual that likes the routine of a 9-to-5 job, and I like to be able to know that I have nights and weekends off and the boss doesn't call me Saturday afternoon at 3 to ask me questions, and yet you walk in to apply an interview at a company that has folks running split shifts, 
They perhaps have a culture that says, hey, we eat here, we sleep here, we're constantly going. Ours is the 24-7 business. So understanding the corporate culture, I would imagine, would be important too. At least you find yourself coming in as the square peg trying to fit into a round hole. You're exactly right. And I think, uh, Jim, you might have brought that up about self-assessment. You need to know that going in and ask those questions. And it's okay to take a step back and say, no, this isn't going to work for me. And another area that I think is important, and I was going to bring up the idea of culture, is the ability to market yourself. And that includes being able to clearly identify what your achievements have been. What difference have you made for companies for which you've worked? Because oftentimes when I see resumes, I refer to it as the laundry list of job duties. I did this, I did this, I did this. And I say to the client, looking at this, if there were 100 applicants and they each wrote what would be appropriate for that position, how would I know which ones to put on the stack of seriously consider to you need to continue to move forward with your job So it's not just the skill that you bring, but the value that you bring. It's all about value. And what I try to do with my clients is to have them quantify, and if not quantify, qualify the differences that they've made. You're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrove. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program, or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrove, please visit his website at davidpetrovecoaching.com. That's davidpetrovecoaching.com, or call 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. And now back to this special presentation, Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World. I'm curious, Dr. David, or for our panelists, how deep would you go in that? In other words, you might say in that laundry list of skills, I sell widgets. It is important perhaps to say I sold $10 million worth of widgets last year. Well, if you're working for a large company and you say, I sold $10 million worth of widgets, they'll seriously consider you. Mm-hmm. If you say, I sold $10,000 worth in a multi-million dollar company, they might say, next. <laughs> Again, you have to look at where you want to be hired. And you, as the panelists were saying, you have to do your research. The other thing you want to do your research on is what are some of the needs that this company has right now that hiring me would address. And I say you can do this in your cover letter, but you don't want to give away all your secrets. In order, if they come to you and say, well, what would we do to address that? Hire me. Hire me and I can help you work on this. So again, it's the strength of your self-marketing. And I know Ron does a number of workshops on how to self-market. One of the big issues is branding. 
how am I different? What are my values? How do I work? Because you mentioned, Craig, about the actual skill is one thing. How you do it is another thing. So you might be perfect in one setting but not so perfect mm-hmm. in another setting mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the um, it's somewhat subtle, but in the in the marketing portion, it's often done by a piece of paper first. That's your your resume. You, you can't get past it unless you're lucky enough to talk to somebody on an airplane or something. You can convince them that way face to face. So it's it's really the issue of inference. What is the person inferring from what you're saying, and that would. Uh, tweak them, would, would uh, nudge them into wondering, how did you do that? And then that question uh, prompts uh, an interview. How did you do that? Well, then you've got, you know, you've got the fish on the hook to some extent. I hate to use a, a phrase, but anyway, it, it's, it's uh, creating the impression that your value could possibly, and I say could possibly because you're never really sure, could possibly uh, – uh, uh, interest a person into asking the question, how did you do that? Because that's what it's about. I mean, that's where the value gets answered. There's a couple more ways to go about talking with the company. And one is to visit associations, and the other one is to go to conferences. Right here in Silicon Valley, there's conferences all the time. And ask those questions then. Go to um, – they'll have a, a showroom. You can go to, down to the floor of the exhibit hall and talk with the salespeople. They'll, they'll talk. That's what they do. Okay. Well, thank you for that input. Um, as we wind up today, um, think about the advice that you would ha- have for someone who was in job search mode today. If you could just give them a nugget – that they could take with them. Because I think a lot of what we've discussed crosses generations. Your ability to fill a need, the value that you have, that's going to be the same for an 18-year-old as it is for a 70-year-old. It's that self-assessment knowing what you bring to the workplace. So what would your nugget be of advice to a job seeker today? Don't do it alone. Um, it's too tough of a process to do it alone. And also related to that is have balance. Do other things to create a little more energy in your your, uh, job search. For example, volunteering is a good thing to do. It gives you, it builds your skills and you're getting to see people at the same time. And then the third thing is it's tough. I know I've been there on both sides, but try to turn things off when you can. So when you're on, have some balance. Do some things that are enjoyable to you. So that would be the three things. Uh, getting support, getting energy from others, uh, doing some volunteerism, and also continue doing what you like to do to balance your job search. I've probably sat in hundreds, thousands of interviews, and the one thing that I find myself saying to candidates is smile. If they just smile, their personality comes out, they um, talk a little bit uh, happier, they're more positive, and it shows confidence, I think. The, um, I've wrestled with this uh, issue of um, uh, occupational and career success. What is it? How does, he, how do you, does one get there? And um, 
in, in uh, my model, I, I look at the issue of uh, strength. And if a person can identify their strengths, whether or not it be their skills, their education, their experience, but somehow they've got a pretty good sense of where their strengths lie. And then uh, turning those strengths, what I call assets, into investments, which is really the, the labor market strategies. How do I approach my labor market strategically to make my assets work work uh, for me the best way? And, and, and thirdly, I think that Ron really uh, has played a tremendous role for uh, those in transition, and that is working with people and, and sitting around a group and discussing uh, common uh, issues relative to transition. And I think um, that's, my, that's my suggestion to uh, people that I meet with. Now, Dr. Petrove, turnaround is fair play. What about for yourself? What would you say are some of the top items? I think for someone to be successful, they need, first of all, to know themselves. That's clearly the number one. The more you know about who you are, and what you have to offer. I think the more successful you'll be in terms of communicating that to others. The other area I believe is that's important is to be a good listener. Now, someone once said that's the reason why we were given two ears and only one mouth. <laughs> so that is definitely something to think about. And then also to be able to develop good communication skills. Uh, one of the concerns that people have today is that with texting, with what's happening with online communication, we're losing that face-to-face -face ability to communicate. Well, that is the perspective of one generation. For young people, it's really a matter of does what I communicate clearly inform the other person of where I'm coming from and then listening to where they're coming from. If there's a connection there, it works. It's just different. But again, when we're working in groups, especially now that we're working with international groups, it's really important to learn the differences that need to be respected in terms of this group may have the same goal that you do, but they're telling it in a different way. So you need to learn how to interpret that for the various groups that you work within or the different generations that you're working with. So I would say those three areas would constitute a successful candidate. No doubt through our conversation today, if perhaps you're listening for the very first time toward what is essentially the tail end of our series, your appetite has been whetted, or you really want to learn to go deeper in some of the specifics of this whole business of work and the future of work. If so, the entire series is available at our podcast site. Simply go to kfax.com and you're welcome to download that. We'll also at some point here to repeat the entire series in its entirety across the week. Again, to get more information, simply go online to kfax.com. I'd like to thank our panelists today, Ron Visconti, Julie Fleury, Jim McDonald, and of course our lead guest today, Dr. David Petrovic. You're listening to Shaping Your Career in an Ever-Shifting World with career coach and employment strategist, Dr. David Petrove. For more information on any of the topics or issues we've discussed on this program, or to request a free no-obligation consultation with Dr. Petrove, please visit his website at davidpetrovecoaching.com. 
That's davidpetrovecoaching.com or call 650-400-7461. That's 650-400-7461. No portion of this program may be transmitted by third parties in whole or in part without the express written consent of David W. Petrovay, DBA, David Petrovay Coaching. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.